It's easy to develop values. It's easy to talk about culture, but it's actually living those values and being being true to, to what you sign up to is really important. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Welcome to In the Doctor's Chair, where today I continue my series of conversations with executive directors on leadership, organizational health and well-being, while exploring the future of work as we continue to live with COVID-19. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Helen Brophy, Director of UCD Smurfit, Executive Development at UCD Smurfit Business School. Helen holds responsibility for the management and strategic development of UCD Smurfit Executive, as well as being a member of the Smurfit School's Irish Advisory Board. Prior to joining UCD Smurfit Graduate Business School, Helen spent almost 20 years working in international business roles within the private and public sectors. While Helen leads the Smurfit Executive Development Team, she also specializes in program design and delivers right across the program portfolio in areas from leadership and change management to organizational effectiveness. Welcome, Helen. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Helen Brophy. Helen, the past 18 months or so have been extremely challenging for everybody, whether in the world of business or healthcare, and of course, education as well. How has it affected how you lead? Really interesting question, Mark. And I think, yes, uh, it has affected everybody, not just from a leadership perspective. I guess if I look at ourselves in Smurfit Executive Development, it it was potentially catastrophic because everything we were doing pre-COVID was actually in person. And part of that experience is actually being on campus and being in classrooms, whether you're an executive individual or whether you're an organization uh, as a client. So potentially it looked, you know, pretty, pretty catastrophic, as I say. And the first thing that was really important was just to have a sense of what were going to be our guiding principles uh, throughout this. And that was something that I set very early on the day before we went actually officially into, into lockdown as, as a country. And we had three guiding principles. And the first and foremost was that our safety and the safety of everybody on the team was first and centre. And that was, you know, that was non-negotiable. So that, that was really important. The second one was that we speak with one voice because we have a lot of clients and we have a lot of customers. Uh, we call them participants, but 
everybody is a customer effectively once they're involved in one of our programs. So speaking with one voice, particularly in terms of managing through a crisis, is incredibly important. And that was something that, you know, from the outset, I suppose I I would have a background in that from previous lives, but it was going to be really important that we were clear, we were consistent, and there was voice coming from uh, the Smurfit team. And the third one was about working together as a team to safeguard what we do. So at the outset, it was pretty obvious we weren't going to be able to be on campus. We weren't going to be able to be in client organisations. So we did face a massive challenge in terms of moving everything that we do to online, to the virtual space. But again, the guiding principle was we're going to do this and we're going to do it together as a team. So that was really important from the outset. So for me, then, there was... I guess there was two parts to that, Mark. You know, the first one was I felt huge sense of responsibility, greater than I've ever felt before, I have to say, because I knew what was at stake. And I felt this incredible weight on my shoulders that, you know, it's a bit like when you're on the plane and there's turbulence and you always look to the steward to see, you know, is he panicking? Is she panicking? Okay, they seem okay. So that's, we're okay. And I felt a sense that with the team, you know, that they were looking to sort of see, are are we going to be okay? What's happening? And so even though I didn't have all the answers, I felt a really strong sense of responsibility that I needed to be calm, which naturally I am. So that was okay. Um, But I also needed to be, clear in my own head to have clarity on what we could do, what we couldn't do, what was going to be possible, not possible. And how are we going to ensure that, that, that you know, we would continue our existence? Because my own networks internationally with uh, my counterparts across other business schools, you know, there were considerable collapses in what people were doing. So that was a big challenge on me. I think the second part then was given the fact that then we were all operating at home, was the division between work and home life changed, you know, in the sense that you were in people's homes, you were seeing what was in their, you know, you were seeing their their children, you were seeing, you know, the the the, the issues and the challenges that people were facing. And and I think the need for understanding that it was okay if your, uh, your your child wouldn't be quiet at that particular time of the day, or if you had other challenges, if you have elderly parents you were looking after, that all of that was okay, and we're just going to manage our way through it. So a real need for empathy, understanding, active listening, and giving people a sense that it's, you know, what's going on around us is not okay but we're going to be okay and we're going to get through this together. I don't think in terms of how it affected my leadership, I don't think ever before, you know, I could be dealing with something that would be commercially very significant, but in terms of how far it's stretched into our personal circumstances, I don't think I had ever experienced that before. So, you know, it was and has been and continues to be um, a challenge, a great challenge, actually. I mean, it's really interesting what you say about that sense of weight and, and responsibility for, for the health and well-being of others. That's something that many leaders have shared with me, both on the podcast and in my room over the past 18 months, that you know, leadership does bring great responsibility and it can be a lonely place being a leader and trying to figure out the best way forward. 
Yeah, it can be. But I, I think within that, you know, it's important that, you know, you recognize that you're human yourself. Nobody is perfect. And I think, you know, I'm a great fan of Brené Brown and, and, and her, her views on vulnerability. And that's where I would say it's okay that we're not okay. None of us are okay. So let's be okay with that. And I think if, if you can show that, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to make sure we get there. There's a sense of, you know, I think accepting that it doesn't have to always be perfect, but it being well-intentioned and keeping yourself and keeping others focused and going in the right direction. And you, you know the, the analogy of the oxygen mask. There is no point putting all that weight on your shoulder and not actually looking after yourself at the same time. So I often think about anxiety and managing people's anxiety. You know, sometimes as a leader, you're containing that, you know, but but the word containing and, and acting as a container is really interesting because containers get full. And so, you know, I think what I've seen, particularly in the organizations that we do with and the executives that we have coming in um, across our programs, there is a great sense of the need to, to manage oneself and how to contain others' anxiety and even the anxiety within an organisation. How do you do that without, uh, you know, keeping your own self-care and keeping your keeping yourself anchored and grounded? And that's where I came back to the guiding principles. I always find having my guiding principles really helpful in that regard. And what are those guiding principles, Helen? So as I say, you know, at the outset, our, our health and safety... Um, was number one, you know. Um, I think having that one voice and having that consistency and clarity as to where we... That, 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 didn't, that wasn't, you know, something that you could say this week, this is what we're doing. It changed, it evolved, but there was one voice and it was consistent. Thirdly, was around that sense of team, you know, and we're doing this together as a team. So even though we might all have individual circumstances that might be uh, very challenging... Um, we're together as a team and we're managing through this as, as one team. I'd like to get back to something really fascinating you, you said there a few minutes ago about, you know, vulnerability. And, and like you, I, I love the work of Brené Brown and authentic leadership, being vulnerable, um, you know, self-care, self-compassion. I think that's really so important. As you said, you know, understanding that nothing and no one is ever perfect, but being good enough is is often good enough. And it really does require you to put on, in your words, your own oxygen mask first. So how does Helen Brophy take good care of herself in terms of her own health and well-being? Well, I always describe myself as a work in progress, Mark. So that's my starting point. I mean, good. I'm by no, I'm by no means um, perfect in that regard. You know, I one of the things that I found really helpful through COVID was being outdoors, whether it's I love the mountains, I love nature, I love being by the sea, I love walking. And I think particularly when you're working more maybe at home uh, and even now with the mix of being in the office and being, and being at home, really important to sort of have that sense of balance and being out there. So that for me is kind of vital. I think the second thing then is, is, is you know, even during the strict times in the lockdown was having your bubble, you know, having the people, close family, friends, people that you could connect with, people that you could talk to. Okay, you couldn't necessarily do the same things that you'd always do, 
But, you know, it didn't matter whether that was, you know, getting together on a Saturday evening and doing something fun over Zoom. And if it's meeting outdoors, just social connection, that human contact uh, with others was really important. Uh, And I think a sense of perspective, Mark, you know, uh, one of the, I suppose, the the greatest challenges for me through the pandemic is that I lost my sister, uh, not to COVID. And I think... You know that that was hugely challenging, and I and I really feel for people that have lost family and relatives and friends and people that have been good to them in lots of different ways. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's uh, for other reasons. But you know, for me, that's that's been really challenging. Yes, sad, obviously, incredibly sad and tragic. But it's also given me a sense of appreciating how precious life actually is, you know, and we only get the chance to to do this once, you know, we're effectively all going to the same destination. And I, when I look at my work, I think it's always really important. I'm in an enviable situation that it's not life or death. And sometimes you have to have that perspective about your work, you know. I really feel for people on the front line when it is life and death. But that was important throughout COVID as well, was to have that perspective, you know, to really be able to stand back from things and not allow sometimes yourself to be caught up, uh, no matter what was happening or unfolding, uh, that you could kind of have that sense of perspective and balance. I think grief and loss is always very difficult and especially during COVID, you know, with the with the challenges about, you know, funerals and, and, and not being able to grieve uh, in, in ways we could before. But I think it's really interesting how, how you speak about perspective there and having a, a, a new appreciation for, for the little things in life. And that's something we often see, you know, when people do go through adversity and, and grief and loss and, and, and trauma of various sorts, that people do develop a sort of a post-traumatic growth where they have a, a new sense of appreciation or a new sense of perspective or new sense, an enriched sense of meaning. And uh, that can be very powerful. And I also think it, it, it's, a, it's through adversity that we actually come closer together, which is really interesting as well, you know. And in those times is when, you know, those value of those strong emotional connections are so important as well to us, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I, I think back on the work side, it's, you know, I think it has given everybody appreciation of, no matter what, everybody has suffered through this pandemic in some way. Um, and I think it has given us all a greater understanding of the need for that empathy and understanding that, you know, maybe wasn't as well appreciated or might be thought of as, I hate the term soft skills, but, you know, that's generally in business the way sometimes we think these are soft skills. And actually, these are the skills that have actually brought a lot of organisations through this pandemic. Um, and I think that's recognising, well, I see that very much with our clients, some of their executives, that, that through adversity, uh, if you have as you say, that appreciation of the need to understand and sometimes be aware that there's a lot going on in people's lives at that point. But actually, the return you get from that can be huge in terms of the I've seen 
increasing commitment, loyalty to organizations, you know, talent retention. And I've seen the opposite, where people have made life-changing decisions where they're exiting an organization and they're moving in a different career trajectory as a result of how they've been treated. So I don't think that's going to go away, Mark. I think that's a really valuable learning for organizations. Absolutely. And, and what you're talking about there in terms of loyalty and, and retention and, and, and commitment to an organization, these, these are all you know, benefits from uh, you know, organizational well-being uh, programs and really having well-being as a cultural value. Can I ask you about that, Helen, in, in terms of how you feel culture matters in organizations? And, and, and secondly, you know, in terms of, of well-being, is, is that something that UCD Smurfit Executive Development invests in and, and is interested in supporting? So, I mean, very simply, I always describe culture as the way we do things around here. There's lots of different definitions, but that's what it is. And it can be explicit in terms of there are things like the way we dress, you know, what we have in terms of our brochures, our, you know, our information material, our websites, all the explicit things. But the implicit is where culture can get tricky. And, you know, unless culture is actively managed within organisations, uh, it, it can have a very detrimental impact uh, on the well-being of an organization. And I, I look at organizations from a systems perspective. So if we think about organizations as systems and we're you know individuals and teams, we operate within these systems, the system is greater than the sum of the parts. And if the system has a toxic culture, for example, that uh, has a detrimental impact on an individual and on a team. And it's very, very hard to track from that, no matter how positive or how proactive a team or an individual is. I had an example there just before COVID, actually, Mark, where I was contacted by an organization who I'm going to do some work on culture. And when I asked them, I said, OK, well, what's the brief for this? And the brief was a bit vague, so I tried to sort of get a little bit more information before making any commitment. And effectively, then, when I was briefed, I was told, well, we had consultants in, you know, they did a review of our culture, they developed a new cultural strategy, we've published it now, everybody has a copy of it, they sent me this, you know, very nice collateral, that information material, and I said, well, what's the problem then? Why do you why do you need me? And the answer was, well, nothing's changed. We're all still doing the same thing. And everybody says that there's been no change. And, you know, that often happens in organizations. Culture is very, very difficult to change. But there's one thing I'm really sure about is it has to come from the top. And in that particular case, it certainly there was... Um, there was a lack of, I would say, commitment to actually making those changes. So it's easy to develop values. It's easy to talk about culture, but it's actually living those values and being being true to, to what you sign up to is really important. So that's what I would say about it does impact people's well-being. If I don't feel like the basis of the culture of, of, of an organization culture is really around trust, if I don't feel psychologically safe in my organization. I can't be as authentic. I can't be maybe as honest as I'd like to be. I certainly can't show vulnerability. And a lot of organizations where things go wrong, and particularly when you look back at a lot of the cases, the casework that we would do, uh, you know, the culture was a fundamental aspect of how people behaved or felt they couldn't behave in certain situations. And the well-being part of that is really important because if I can't feel psychologically safe 
uh, in an organization, if I can't feel that I can be authentic, that I can be myself, that I can trust that the organization is, uh, you know, is, is willing to support me, then that eats away inside and also has implications for people you're leading or people you're you're managing or you're working with because it, it, it in a sense it provokes anxiety and anxiety is something that is quite prevalent um, right now throughout a lot of organizations and that anxiety uh, you know has implications on performance and at the end of the day leadership is about getting organizations, teams, individuals performing to their full potential. Um, and culture has a major impact on that. And if we don't manage our well-being and the well-being of our employees, then that is, does have, is going to have a detrimental impact on performance. Maybe not today, but gradually over time, uh, the cracks start to appear. I think you're absolutely right, Helen. You know, you know, culture is such a leadership proposition. And I think particularly since the onset of the COVID pandemic, so many people have, you know, been experiencing chronic levels of at least low-grade anxiety. That red button in the brain is on all the time, the amygdala. And that does burn a hole to an extent in your willpower muscle and your focus and your attention. So creating, as you said, an environment where people can feel psychologically safe and empowered to be themselves and to bring their best selves to work and to be supported in the work they do is, I think, really, really important when you're looking at, at you know, sustainable well-being for organizations, because we're all human beings, aren't we? And what we found, Mark, when we successfully transitioned our 2000 executives to uh, the online virtual space, what was really interesting was, you know, the feedback Um, you know, people want that degree of, they want normality. Even amidst chaos, we all need to find more uh, normality. So, you know, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, that's that's a great read. But I think in the pandemic, that was never more true. And we found that people, you know, the, the need to continue to learn and the need to have that peer-to-peer connection. They need to have time for me. So this is the only time in the in the in the week that I'm getting some time to myself. And the fact that the organization is actually supporting that and enabling that is empowering for people. Um, and I was really, 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 really pleasantly uh, not surprised, but but just the fact that people really wanted to maintain that connection and to stay on track with whatever it was that they were trying to. Um, achieve for themselves or for their teams or for their organization and the importance then of the organization actually being a supporter of that and being a champion of that and that's where I say you see a kind of a, a split then in terms of people actually saying well my gosh it's not like that in my organization you know uh, and, and these type of conversations that go on when people are actually together in in a setting where they're coming maybe from different organizations. So I think people are thinking a lot more about my place of work. You know, it's a two-way contract. It's not just the terms, the conditions that the employer places on the individual, but it's also, well, what are my terms and conditions? And that's something I see that the younger generation are much better at than, let's say, us, because, you know, we, we sort of, I suppose, grew up with traditional hierarchical structures and authority lines. And, you know, you don't, don't necessarily challenge, you know, and being very cognizant of, of where you where you stood in the pecking order. 
I think that two-way contract and employers realizing that actually to attract the best talent, to retain um, and develop the best talent, that the terms and conditions go both ways. And I think it's, you know, it's a really positive, um, really positive to see how the younger generation are embracing that more than, let's say, us folks, you know, who kind of, I suppose, have, have been, our careers have, have started earlier in a different, I suppose, in a different society. I couldn't agree with you more, Helen. I think Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, one of the greatest books of all time, understanding that no matter what's going on, you have the possibility to choose how to respond in any given circumstance, that what provides light must endure burning. You know, it's really, I think, the the stellar book of all time in terms of resilience and, and creating that sense of, of purpose and meaning. Can I ask you, Helen, in terms of, of leadership, you know, who do you admire and why? I have to say a person that um, I really admire just at the moment, um, and it's not somebody actually who's alive, but Clayton Christensen um, was a professor at Harvard, a very famous marketing professor who died quite young. He was only 67 there. And he wrote a book in his final uh, months on how to measure the success of your life. And Essentially, he, you know, he talked about the fact that, you know, he he would see these really, really bright graduates leaving Harvard, going into the McKinsey's, Boston Consulting, you know, really, really big roles. And every year as the reunions went on, he could see decline. You know, they had everything, you know, they had the great jobs, great salaries, great pay packs. But somehow he felt over a period of 5, 10, 15 years, he was seeing a demise. And they were less happy and less satisfied and lots of issues and, and things going on. And that kind of inspired him to write the book. And I I loved him as a professor because I started out in marketing. But I really just think that, you know, for somebody who was coming to the end of his life, he felt it so important. He was really dedicated to, to teaching, you know, and, and sometimes in academia, that's not always the case. You know, it can be more about the person's research and their publications uh, and themselves as opposed to, to their students. He really did. Um, it was a vocation. And I really like the book that he wrote because it really instilled that sense of we need meaning and purpose in life and we need values. And, you know, it goes back again to, to my guiding principles. That's what that's what keeps us anchored and grounded. And we 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 really need to be mindful of that as we go on this journey, because his point was very much that these are incremental steps. Or, you know, somebody who goes from being at such such full potential and then, you know, as they go through their career, they start to drift and things happen. And, you know, and very often he said they ended up on their own and isolated, you know, and that that doesn't happen overnight. It's incremental. So being very mindful of the steps that you take in life uh, and, and, and having that sense of purpose and really what did was it looked at, well, all the strategies that we use in business, how can we apply them to our personal lives? You know, so we're great at developing strategies in business, but can we use those tools and frameworks and apply them to ourselves? Um, so for that reason, I, you know, he's somebody who just stands out to me at the moment. Mm -hmm. he, he was a wonderful man. And like you, I did read his book a few years ago, and it was really all about values and purpose and that the small things really did become the big things. And staying staying consistent. Yeah, a wonderful man. And thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Helen. Could you give our listeners three take homes for a resilient mind? I would say um, balance. 
in everything that you do, which means, you know, in my case, I have to be quite disciplined, Mark, because I will always, you know, I would have a tendency to prioritize the work side of things. So I have to be quite disciplined about trying to achieve the balance. I think you know, a sense of humor is actually really important, you know, a lightheartedness, the ability to laugh at yourself sometimes, you know, and not take yourself too seriously, I think is, uh, I think maybe as I'm getting older, I'm kind of realizing that. And for me, that's very important. And I think having those connections, whatever it means for you, but having those important social connections, which give you that satisfaction and give you a sense of belonging and belonging to a community in whatever shape or form that actually takes. And I think that's something that the pandemic has certainly highlighted. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm really conscious of the level of loneliness that you would read about and hear about. And, you know, the need to be mindful of that with even people within the team, within the organisations that we work with, that not everybody has home circumstance that allows them to, uh, to feel that they, there's somebody there for them. So, so I think those things, Mark, would just stand out to me as being as being absolutely key. Yeah, balance, you know, laughter, lightheartedness and connection. I think there are three great ways to support resilience. And of course, life is a marathon and it's really important to, as you said, put your own oxygen mask on first and, you know, stay true to your values and really look after your own self-care while you are doing all those great things that you're trying to do in the world. And finally, Helen, can I ask you, for you, what's the meaning of life? It's really about, you know, going back to, you know, fulfilling that potential. It's about being the best version of yourself. And, you know, we only get one chance and really, really go for it and make the most of it. And meaning is different things to different people. But for me, it's about having that real sense of purpose and what I'm doing. So, you know, in the current role, um, what does that look like? It you know, I got a letter yesterday from someone who did one of our leadership programs just before the pandemic, actually. And he wrote to me to say that just came out of the blue to say that based on the program that he had uh, really worked on his career and his personal goals, and he had made significant changes through the pandemic. And he was writing to thank me for having really changed his life. And, you know, there's nothing there's nothing more satisfying to me than to get something like that back. That, that's what makes what we do really worthwhile is all those stories of people and organizations, because what we're trying to do is create better leaders, create better managers, and that in turn creates better organizations and better ways to lead. And that for me just brings huge satisfaction. So meaning in my work is, is certainly that. Uh, meaning in, in, in a broader context is really fulfilling my own potential. Um, I'm only halfway there, so I have I have um, lots of lots of exciting plans. <laughs> I'm reading more in Gaffney's Wild Precious Life at the moment, so I'm coming into midlife stage now, uh, Mark. Officially, not middle life; it's midlife stage now, and I'm only halfway there. So, you know, I, I really want to, to do everything that I, you know, if I had ten days left to live. What would I do with those 10 days? Well, by God, I'm going to make the most of it and I'm going to do everything I can so that, you know, when the time comes that I'm I'm, got, I'm not going to look back and have any regrets. That's my plan. Have no regrets. Well, Helen, it's been wonderful talking to you. Keep leading, keep inspiring, keep fulfilling your potential and keep being that best version of you. Helen Brophy, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Doctor's Chair. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. 
For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.